What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. You missed it, Anthony. Not far from you, south of you in the LES, Lower East Side today. After seven years of the city council vacillating because Beastie Boys were little Jewish Booker Boys, they finally decided to rename the southwest corner of Ludlow and Rivington Beastie Boys Square. They did it earlier today. Mikey D was there, Ad Rock, lots of Beastie Boy fans, but it took seven years. Yep. Whereas uh, Wu-Tang Clan District is on Target Street in Staten Island, right in the shadow of the Staple Inn Projects and Park Hill. And obviously, uh, you got the Biggie Smalls uh, wall in Bed-Stuy, do or die. Those were done, like, uh, almost overnight. Why did it take seven years for the city council? to finally decide that the Booker Boys were worth having the southwest corner of Ludlow and Rivington synonymous with Jews over the years. Well, I am I'm inclined to say that they were doing something else that was press, other pressing business of the city, but we know the city council has not been doing that very much. I think it just comes down to anti-Semitism, maybe. I don't know. Damn right. By the way, I've noticed that the uh, Lauder uh, group, the PAC, is promoting a rally against the anti-Semitism at City University outside of the Chancellor's Office, Tuesday, 5.30. The Chancellor's Office is right on 42nd Street, opposite uh, Bryant Park. Uh, whose side are you on there, Anthony Weiner? I'm, I'm, I'm against the anti-Semites, and I'm also against the anti You see that Twitter is suing the ADL? <laughs> Twitter is suing the ADL because they say the ADL, by pointing out how much anti-Semitism there is on Twitter— is driving down their profits, and so they're suing the Anti-Defamation League. (laughs) Well, look, like any organization, you're trying to raise money. If your problem is less than what you've stated, you're going to get less money. So just like Coalition for the Homeless, it's just like um, 
uh, Anti-Defamation League, Guardian Angels. We do an appeal. If crime is down, people are not going to give the right, same right. amount of money as they would if crime all of a sudden is bad. So it's like all organizations are constantly having to pump out why it is you should contribute to their organization. But the Anti-Defamation League has a lot of material of late. I mean, they, they sure do. And like, in, and like twi- <laughs> Twitter... Is upset at the ADL because at Twitter, let's back on Kanye, let's back on these Fuentes guys, let's back on Donald Trump, and there's and and it's a torrent of anti-Semitism. ADL, whose job it is to point out when there's torrents of anti-Semitism, sure, sure. does it, and now Musk is blaming the ADL because no one wants to advertise on his platform. It's a little bit silly. But the other flip side is, as you know, uh, Tucker Carlson has used uh, Musk. Twitter, what do they call it now? They keep changing names. This is like Prince, you know, (laughs) the artist, X, whatever. Uh, So anyway, Tucker Carlson had this interview on with this three-eyed cousin fornicator with no teeth from a trailer park, God only knows from where, claiming he had uh, homosexual sex with Barack Obama. It was like right out of the National Enquirer, even Elon Musk had to say to Tucker Carlson, who obviously is his number one go-to guy now on Twitter, Knock that crap off. It's like, that, that it was horrific. But the problem is, look, and, and you saw that, that that case came down in the courts about the government putting too much pressure on social media companies, what they can and can't say. Look, my view of this stuff is we all say that we want free speech, but we really don't. We, we don't, It's not good business if you're running a business to have people saying anti-Semitic and racist and homophobic things on your platform. If you're advertising, you don't want to be anywhere near that kind of stuff. So ultimately, everyone kind of wants to feel comfortable on these these platforms, but to sue the ADL just because they're pointing out the obvious thing, which is which is anti-Semitism is on the rise, um, seems to be completely preposterous. But it's worth noting that a major shareholder, a major part of the deal when when Musk purchased Twitter, was Saudi money. So you know, if we don't believe, and here we are, it's the eve of September 11th. If we don't believe that there's some Saudi influence going on there as well. To, to maybe un- unleash some of this anti-Semitism. I think that's wrong. Too. Well, remember, when Tucker Carlson was back at Fox News Channel before they decided to go their separate ways, he had the two-part series interview with Kanye West. Yeah, Kanye had made all of his anti-Semitic statements, and Tucker said, you really want to say that? He yeah. said, absolutely. They left it on the cutting room floor. We never knew about that. We never knew that for years Kanye West was saying this in his right. interviews and people would turn to him and say, Kanye, you really want that to be part of this interview? Absolutely. And they made a business decision to leave it on the cutting room floor. So basically, they were censoring his interview. He was saying what he really felt at that time. And we didn't hear it until all of a sudden he decided to go public. Right, right. And, and it's kind of the same way. You know, we, people forget when Kanye was welcomed back onto, onto Twitter, it was after he said the crazy things. It's not like he, he was invited. Now, he did stuff afterwards. But, but this is, a, re, this is a, a real problem. Now, you know, people have, have posited the question, is anti-Semitism on the rise? Or just now we have so many tools for anti-Semites to be able to yell their, their, their vicious messages out into the world. I'm not sure which it is. I think there's always been a lot of anti-Semitism. But, but even, you know, any time... You, uh, you you spend five minutes on these social media platforms. The anti-Semites are around, and I don't know how many there are. From, from both the left and right. It's the one time the far left and the far right are actually in agreement. Blame the Jews. Yeah. When all else fails, 
blame the Jews. Right. That's why, you know, and any conspiracy theory, it's just a matter of time before they find a way to get it back to the Jews somehow. Right. All of a sudden you're sneezing. Achoo! Oh, the Jews are responsible for that. But it is interesting that even though Tucker Carlson is his go-to guy on Twitter, obviously gets millions of hits, clicks, that even Elon Musk said, what the hell was that? Yeah. I mean, that's about as low as you can go. But I remember you're good at these kind of little historical moments. I remember that guy who made the Obama claim. It's not new. He had come out before oh, and, and, and was laughed off the stage. Yeah, he right? was looking for a payday. Yeah, he, yeah. he showed no documentation, nothing. Right. And, and, and t- the funny thing was uh, it was Musk or was Tucker saying, oh, you keep overlooking that he took a lie detector test. Wait a minute. He failed the lie detector <laughs> test that he took. <laughs> you know what it reminded me of? The old Jerry Springer show. I mean, that's about yeah. as low as uh, this guy. You said yourself, Tucker. Really? You needed to go there? Right, right. It's like, out of all the things you could do that are controversial, that one, just looking at this guy, you said, really? This is like right out of the Jerry but you, Springer but show. You, you predicted it. I think I'm going on on Tuesday or Monday on that Jesse Waters on with him. You predicted at the time that everyone would cry in their beer about Tucker Carlson for about a day. Yep. And then whoever took over would have the same number as the real estate. And that's basically what has happened. Look, we know O'Reilly is good at what he does. We know Tucker Carlson is good at what he does. But there's so many platforms now. The 8 o'clock real estate at the Fox News Channel is the premium slice. Unless you're not really up for prime time, you're not going to do well. And remember, Jesse Waters was a protege of O'Reilly comes out of that O'Reilly school, that Uh O'Reilly way of doing things. Not really a Tucker Carlson type. But Tucker Carlson, as I've said here over and over again, when he was wearing the bow tie at MSNBC, he was the moderate liberal. I substituted for him at night for, they they were going to have me for the full week, but when all of a sudden, my very first guest from Air America at that time, who is now the darling of MSNBC, she can do no wrong. When I eviscerated her on the air, trying to remember her name right now, she's the number one hostess, Rachel Rachel Maddow. Maddow, Right. Mm -hmm. Remember, she was on Air America with Chuck D, one of the worst shows you'd ever want to hear because she's reading off of cue cards and he's thinking you could just mail it in without, you know, you can't just discuss rap music and black issues. And I would listen and I would say, my God, they need some help. They need some somebody to show them that radio is not TV. Like when Rachel Maddow, who does a very good job on TV, I don't, I don't like her politics, but she does. She looks right into that lens. Everything is scripted. It's written for her. Obviously, they work at it uh, tediously before you even go on the show, and I'm sure she she works with the uh, production team. But it's not like radio. You can't do that on yeah. radio. Yeah. No, but did you feel this was a radio show you filled no, in or when no, they were it was doing just Tucker Carlson MSNBC oh, yeah. at night, yeah. ten o'clock to eleven. This is when he wore the bow tie. Right, right. He was more liberal, more moderate. I call him a libertarian back but then. But isn't there also a thing that goes on at Fox and maybe it goes on on the radio as well, that people settle in for their consumption of Fox at a certain time and that's a lot of people. It's a lot of people, and they're not really looking. They're not shopping around for another place to be, and so they get comfortable, like you said, with that real estate, that TV, that channel. Yeah, and so if, it, if it's 55-plus, they keep Fox on all day. It's like a religion, just like yeah. people on the left all day, MSNBC. It's like a religion. You never hear any diversity. You rarely get a guest who is in conflict with the main ideology. To me, it's boring. 
And then when I hear our colleagues keep referring to Fox and playing Fox cuts, I keep saying, what the hell are you listening to the radio for? You might as well just tell everybody to go watch Fox News TV. It's a different beast. Talk radio is spontaneous. It's improv. It's like the spur of the moment. But if you're going to use the talking points of Fox News or if you happen to be a liberal, the talking points of MSNBC, you're going to fail on radio. Yeah. It's boring. There is also the problem that at Fox, it comes right from the mothership. Like they're told, like, here's what we're going to focus on. Sometimes you can you can tell, like, there's just this one. Like they decided one day, okay, we're going to make fun of Joe Biden because he pet a dog in Hawaii. That's going to be our thing, and every show is going to do it. And in radio, you can't really do that kind. Of, I mean, maybe on other stations that well, happens. Well, some of our hosts and hostesses here repeat the same damn program every day. If I went away for a week, Anthony Weiner, some of the shows here, and I came back, it's the same show a week later. <laughs> it's Trump is God, uh, Joe Biden sucks, and Hunter Biden left his cocaine in the White House. So, so you're telling me that if we just went back and replayed a week of some of the hosts that you would take, it would be really hard to figure out that it was same way, same program. Every day, it's the same thing. And I know who's doing well, and I know who's not doing well. And those who repeat the same mantra every day, their numbers are stagnant. They ain't going nowhere. People know they don't have to listen today. You see, you have to create an expectation is, I don't want to miss what Anthony is saying today or Curtis or whoever the host is. Because I may not be able to recover it. Maybe I can get it on the podcast. But let's face it. People like live and local radio and dealing with issues. But if all you're going to do is talk about Trump and Biden and Hunter Biden, it's the same old, same old. Right, because we never know. First, we want to know whether you got arrested that day. Yes, of course. Then we want to know whether you had an appropriate change of clothes. Yes. And then, of course, we need some color about who was in the cell with you. You know, what Altacaca that, that, that accidentally but got arrested. Also, who are my political enemies today? They could be Republicans. They could be Democrats. You, you never know. You see, that's the beauty of radio from one day to the next. And unfortunately, uh, we have too many colleagues in this field of talk radio who just repeat what they watch on TV all day. I know the people who listen to WABC who do talk radio, and I know the ones who haven't even listened all day long. I can tell. And I'm saying to myself, hey, who, who gives you your paycheck? Where do you actually establish your credibility? Here, it's number one station in the nation. More people are listening to you on WABC than would ever be watching you on most TV programs. And they don't seem to understand that. They have no concept. But you understand the allure, right? You understand the wanting to say, keep people in their comfort zone of saying the same things. We just had a two-hour conversation about immigration that was a little bit choppy because it's not the same exact things that other people have been saying. And me criticizing Eric Adams had some people calling in confused. Are you no longer an Adams guy? And I explained, I, WWWD, what would Wiener do? I tried to describe how I would have done this entirely different. But um, I do get the, as someone who's relatively new still, to want to say, oh, yes, I want to do the same thing because it's comforting comforting to say. Well, it's lazy. It's easy. I would agree with that. You could walk yeah. in and do that any day of the week. You don't have to do any show prep. You don't have to be creative. You don't have to be intuitive. You can just mail it in. And to me, it's stealing money from John Katz and Matitas. That's the way I look at it. It's like the pickpockets now in Times Square, the <laughs> professional pickpockets who use the kids, you know, as right. sort of a, 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 the a distraction while they pick your pockets. It's the same thing. We have people who work here who pick the pockets of our boss. 
And they do it, and they don't think twice about it. Whereas I believe it is our job to do things differently than what you see on TV. TV, the story is told by the pictures, not the host or hostess. It's the pictures, and they know which which videos to run that are going to engage eyeballs. Talk radio. It's got to be you don't know where this talk show hosts or hostess are going to go. Theater of the mind, you know, entertaining, a bombastic, uh, real, callers. Guests I hate. Guests are talk radio killers because you can see them all on TV. It's not a guest I've, I've heard on WABC that I haven't seen on talk TV say exactly the same thing. What do they say differently? Yeah, I mean, there, there are I, – I think that the rule of thumb, though, is to, to always keep listeners kind of surprised at what they're hearing and hearing something a little bit fresh. I think a guest can do that. I think very often, too often no, – Let me ask you. I'll be very blunt. Dershowitz says the same thing 25 times a day. Chang, right? Uh, we're going to war. It's the end of the war. We're going uh, to go to war against Red China, right? What happened? We were going to go to war last month, right? The balloons, the balloons. We need to attack. Lindsey Graham, we need to attack Mexico. Right, right. They say the same things on every interview. What the hell do I need to hear that again? I would much rather hear from the callers. To me, the callers are far more stimulating. They bring more to the table than the same. Oh, we got Alan Dershowitz in it. I turn it off. Yeah, I, I, mean, I wrote him 24 I mean, times my, already. My beef with the Changs and the Dershowitzes of the world is you, you really you can chart where they're going to be on every issue coming down the, a mile away. Like Chang, everything is going to be. We're coming up to World War Three. We're coming up to World War Three with China. Everything with Dershowitz is no matter what happens is. I don't like Joe. I don't like Donald Trump. But here's the fifty ways I'm going to defend him because I have a book called Chasing Trump. And I'm voting for Joe Biden. It's already predictable. So So, to me, it's sort of okay. Do lazy radio, which is guests, but I'm not going that way. I tell people all the time. Oh, you need me as a guest. What the hell do I need you for, guess for? What are you going to add to the discussion? I prefer to listen to our callers. I think our callers add far more to the discussion because they're not speaking with a seven-second sound delay. They don't have careers that are on the line. That's true. You know, they don't have— But also, the other thing is, by and large, they add some friction. They add some because they add some spices, particularly on, on, on my show where, you know— 60, 70 percent of the callers disagree with something. Right, I'm it's saying. much more interesting. It's much, it's two hand clapping. Perfect example. Who has skyrocketed in the ratings of late? Dominic Carter has passed everyone in his time slots. Get, get, destroyed them. And you, your numbers have gone up. Now why? What do you do in common? You deal with callers. You don't have guests. Those that keep pounding around with the same old guests. Why should I bother listening? I've got other things to do in my life. I already heard Alan Dershowitz three times today say the same thing. I need to hear it a fourth time. Am I that much of a dummy? You still not? People have many things in their life. you got to excite them, and you make them uncomfortable. If you don't make a a talk radio listener uncomfortable, if they're in a comfort zone, you know what they're going to do? Fall asleep. Right. They're going to fall asleep. You're going to have people. I think that's true, too. I think that's true, too. Right? Because I, I know that's my experience listening to the radio. Is there used to be a, a, um, a, um, Sterling, before he was doing Yankee baseball, had a radio show. And his whole, his, his line, was, I think he called, called people jerks or dummies or whatever. Oh, he was the Bob Grant yeah. of Sports Talk Radio he at would, WMCA at would, night. 
Arthur George Russ Jr. was the same way. Yeah, he, but he wanted money from the callers. He'd say, hey, keep that caller on the line. Steve Molesford, keep him on the line. <laughs> hey, pal, can you float me $200? <laughs> I was in the studio when he was doing Is that. that true? Yeah, Is then they true? would all wait downstairs a month later. Hey, Art, Art, where's my money, Art? He'd go out the back door. <laughs> That's funny. But Steve Molesburg had to deal with these But callers. it would be, I mean, even uh, like Mike and the Mad Dog, the same thing. It's the color of the, the friction is what well, makes it. When, when we come back, I want to show you an example. Uh, she was on with Sid Rosenberg, Nancy Mace, the darling out of South Carolina. Uh, and she said what is said every four years. And I'm going to play this cut until I grind it into the ground. <laughs> because I'm not stupid. I don't need to be told that this is the election of our lifetime. <laughs> There'll never be. Uh, this is the most important. Every four years, these politicians think we're morons. We're stupid. You know this, Anthony, amongst your colleagues, because I've been with both. Hey, the people are really stupid. They're like sheep. They need a sheep herder. They'll forget what you said five seconds ago, five hours ago, five days ago, five weeks ago, five months ago, five years ago. You're really stupid. Uh, guess what? They're not that stupid, especially in talk radio. Uh, notice their memories. They can remember what you said, Anthony, <laughs> exactly four right. days ago. That's... To the word. When we come back, a perfect example, she's the darling of the Republican Party. But out of the box with Sid Rosenberg the other day, she said what we are going to hear nonstop until the election is resolved for the presidency. And they're looking like uh, Trump versus Biden, round two. Right here, your place to be where we let it all hang out. It is Anthony Weiner. Yours truly, Curtis Lee, on your place to be, WABC. It's the left versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 77 WABC. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold gun. Guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's PriorityGoldGuide.com. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. You know what we need to get into the rotation. Rolling Stones have had their first new material in 20 years. And you hear Mick Jagger, you can hear his voice singing angry. Angry. It's exactly what I am. That song is actually a very good song. Normally, if you haven't been in studio for 20 years, whatever comes out of your mouth is not up to prime time. We got to get that song, Angry, into our rotation. Oh, yeah? I'm probably the angriest guy here at WABC. 
And I'm angry because the other day after my weekly appearance, excuse me, daily appearance with Sid when he's on Monday through Friday, 7.05, he had on Nancy Mace, and this is sort of like uh, what I call the Barbie, the Barbie dolls uh, of the Republican Party. You had yeah. uh, the governor of South Dakota who now does commercials, you know, where she's the plumber, the electrician, the rodeo gal. Please give me a break. Uh, she's with Trump. I saw her at the Nassau County GOP annual dinner. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't be more bored by what she was saying. Uh, then you have, uh, obviously, the uh, young lady originally born in Iowa, Lake, uh, from Arizona. Lake, the election yeah. is stolen. The election is stolen. And then you have Nancy Mace from South Carolina. And Nancy Mace, you know, they all, yeah, I should be a vice president. You're like, yeah, right. It ain't going to happen. But naturally, it titillates people. It titillates people. And then the other day, the other morning with uh, Sid Rosenberg, Nancy May says, what everyone will now say from this point on till we determine who the next president of the United States is. And it's like you haven't heard this before. We'll destroy New York nope, City. No, 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 Nancy Mace. Uh, you know, female. I realize nowadays we have a tough time determining between females and males. <laughs> Got to be very careful. Snap out of it. Nancy Mace, Congresswoman, South Carolina, on with Sid Rosen. But see, I asked him. I said, you got it? See, this is why I talk about By the way, this, the Mace and Carrie Lake, they, you know, they're clear. Carrie Lake in particular, clearly coming on with Sid auditioning to be vice president. Oh, yeah. But you see, Carrie Lake did not know Sid. She had known of me, not personally. She right. was here with her husband. She's originally an Iowa girl. She's not an Arizona girl. Like most people in Arizona, they right. weren't they born there. They, they went there. She looks at Sid in the hallway, and she goes, God, you look like a hit man. <laughs> and this is right after his appearance on Gravesend where he plays <laughs> the probably, And Sid is probably loving that. Yeah, He's but loving it. She really was genuine about that. Yeah. Gee, you look like a hit man. <laughs> oh, forget about it. He's on his way to Hollywood. <laughs> Hey, where's Kevin Josh? What do we have a producer here for? Okay, we got it. Let's go with it. Here is so important, and we keep saying the most important election of our lifetime, but I really do believe next year is going to be the most important election of our lifetime. And I don't say that lightly, but that is the mess that we're in right now. Every four years. I got to say, you know who I would respect if someone stood up and said, you know, this is the third most important election of our lifetime coming up. <laughs> I would have so much respect for someone who said that. But she even knows. That it's been said before, but we have to emphasize it. Through. Both sides will be saying this to try to gin up their vote. Both sides are lying. It's not the most important election of our lifetime because you say that every four years. Again, Anthony, they think we're stupid. Like we haven't heard this before. Before she was birthed, politicians were saying, this is the most important election of our lifetime that will determine the future of not only America, but the world. Yeah. No, totally. Our kids will look back at this election and say, how did you do? Yeah, you're exactly right. But the other thing that that Nancy Mace quote tells us, though, politicians are so, they're so much about caution and speaking to the lowest common denominator yep. and not saying anything that will antagonize either the host or the listener. They try to be as iodine as possible. It's almost like I want to get your attention by being on the radio, but I don't want to say anything that will make you remember me for anything bad. Yet I think most people, 99% of the words said by politicians in public 
are completely useless. You can do without them, and the world would be no worse off. I call it Barney talk. You love me. I love <laughs> you. How are your kids? How's everything going? Oh, the world is coming to an end. It'll never be the same if you elect that person, elect me and my people, and it's sort of like nirvana. Everything will be perfect. Right. And I'm like, how many times can these people repeat the same mantra over and over? Because, again, they go to the same school and entity. You know what I'm talking about. Don't worry about people. They're stupid. And that's why people are angry. Like last night when I'm at a rally, I don't let politicians talk. So before I get there, because it was bad weather in the rain, guess who tried to sneak his way in? That two-faced guy who's never told the truth about his life from oh, beginning to so end. I heard Noam reported Santos was there. He went early because that is his congressional district. Yeah. So that's obviously. Just barely, though. It's right. just the very western side of his district. You can't keep him out. But right away, he had an expectation to talk. And so the people who were there bringing all the mothers and grandmothers and children together, because that was the whole concept. It's, these are the mothers and grandmothers who are upset they can't use their park anymore. They said to George Santos, Curtis said, no politician. Sorry. But let me ask you, what's the philosophy behind that? Don't, aren't you interested? I mean, the, the guy is representing you in Congress. Aren't you interested in what he's going to do and what he's going to say? He's a rally killer. Politicians are rally killers. They never stick to the points. They always talk about themselves. They always talk about what they're doing. I'll never forget at the annual Veterans Day uh, parade before the start of it down on 23rd Street, the park. It was Carolyn Maloney, the congresswoman. And the crowd wasn't paying attention to it. She, you know Which what happens. I did for you? I got you veterans housing when nobody else would. This woman thought it was all about her. Yeah. She got booed. She couldn't understand why she was getting booed. Lady, this is about Veterans Day. This is not about right. you. And I think what happens is these politicians think it's a campaign stump speech. This is what I'm doing for you. And the crowd always says, what's your plan? Now, yeah. that, that's all of a sudden, that's a problem. Uh-oh. They expect me to no, have a that's, plan. You see, if you're an elected official and you get up in front of a crowd, you're not just a regular citizen. You better have your three-point plan for what you're going to do and your three uh, your three next plans for like what, what we're going to do. That we're going to come back to this rally at this point and this time, and here's the things we want to accomplish between and now and then. you can't just give a speech and leave. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, to his credit, and you know this guy who was up in Albany for years, still is, State Senator Andrew Lanza from Staten Island. Every rally in Staten Island, he's the first there. He's the last to leave. He listens to every speaker. The other politicians, oh, you know, I'm busy. Like Chuck Schumer said, I got to go watch my daughter play softball for the first time. He used that line about 30 times. Yeah. He sort of wore that dead. No, you're going to be there. You'll be there with the peeps. You, you'll be, you're there from beginning yeah. to the end. Because that shows you're listening to the That's people right. That's talk. right. They, you know, politicians have two jobs. One is to talk and tell you what, what they believe, and one is to listen to what you have to say. Yeah. And, and a lot of them don't want to be with the crowd afterwards because they're going to say to them, well, what's your plan? How you, uh, how are you going to do that? What about my kids? What about this? What about that? Is, then they, 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 hey, hey, my aide here, uh, deal with no, my I, aide. I tell you, here's, what, here's the downside about hanging around a rally after you've spoken. Sooner or later, someone gets up on a stage and directs his remarks at you. Of course. <laughs> say, and that's Curtis they, Lee. They say, they say, you know, Congressman Santos, I see you sitting here. I'm interested in, you know, have you signed on to the Save New York City Act from whatever, whatever it is? I mean, so that is the danger of it. But isn't so, this amazing? He shows up early. He knows if I see him, forget it. I'm going to eviscerate him. He tries to Do you muscle. have any history with him? Oh, yeah. I hate him. I'm the one who called him out early on. 
I remember they wanted me to run for oh, his that's seat. right. That's right. So the point is, he tries to muscle in early. You know, I'm here to speak. And the organizers say, no, you're not going to speak. Curtis doesn't have any politicians speak. And so he sulks. I'm the congressman. No, doesn't matter to us. This is the night of the mothers, the grandmothers, the children, and the grand. It, each rally has a theme. Right, we right. honor those people who've been there around the clock. So he thought, I'm George Santos, I could talk. The moment he saw he wasn't going to get to the microphone, he left. He yeah. left, like they all do. You know how many times I've seen politicians with their chief of staff or their aide huff and puff. Uh, no, I'm sorry, you can't speak. I huff and puff, you know who I am. It doesn't matter. The people don't want to hear you unless you have a plan. Do you have a plan? No, no, uh, you know, we're working yeah, I, on I think my, my, having been on the other side of this, I would always take, I, I think the correct position is we need all the muscle that we can get to solve problem X. And if that means getting in good, be getting on the right side of our congressman, or that means inviting Republican into a Democratic area, whatever it is, I always say let people, it's easy to let someone speak for two minutes. Well, I'll give you an example. Every year in the beginning, you, Vito Fisella, me, and Chuck Schumer gave speeches at the start of the Tunnel to Tower run Correct. and walk. When, like, there were a few thousand. Now there's like a million. But back then, you know, it was tough. The Silla family from Staten Island had to do a lot of hustling. Right. So I gave my standard speech was you could take all these terrorists, put them on uh, the uh, <laughs> the Paradise Express, <laughs> and zoom them up, them up to Al-Assad. It was great in the beginning. But then the Silver family says, we're trying to get CBS to cover the event each week. Uh, I mean, each year. Curtis, you know, if we don't ask you to speak any longer, you're not going to take yeah, it. I said, yeah. no, no, I get it. I get it. They don't want to hear that at CBS Channel 2. And you see, you understand. It's not a time and a place for that kind of rhetoric. But I used to like giving that to you. You gave great speeches. Well, the thing, see, one year, that, wasn't, that was not my district. So one year... Relatively early on, I, I was, uh, you know, it did get very big after a while. But I think what they said to me is, as a way, I think it was Jerry Nadler's district. I can't tell which side it was, Jerry Nadler or or of us. They said, listen, if you run the race, then we'll just have you with someone like helping to fire the starting gun off. And there's no way Jerry Nadler's going to run this race. So a couple of times I came there as a participant. And by the way, that's a tough run. You go, you don't realize yeah, exactly. that the tunnel goes down and then it goes up. Long story short, I mean, if if someone would say to me, "We the program has gotten too big, and if we let you, we have to let nine other members of Congress," I would understand that they're trying to run a program. It's a whatever it is, but it's a big deal, you know, because people forget there is not normal regular people don't gather and to listen to their congressmen very often. You get the people that go to town hall meetings. Right. You get to talk to them plenty. But every once in a while, if you get a crowd of people that come out to run in honor of, of those who we lost on September 11th, that's a big crowd from all five boroughs and every and other place. That's a big opportunity to say, look, like Chuck Schumer would always say, like I say, Chuck, what would be like, what is your, your dream crowd to talk to? He says, if I can get all of my constituents into Yankee Stadium and just talk to them all at once, it would be perfect. But that's not the way it works. So I always am of the belief that if you're having something that you're trying to organize support for, let the member of let the of politicians speak. It means probably a little something to them. You can then call them on it later. I'll let you speak if you agree to do A, B, or C. No, no, no. Like so you 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 horse trade. I get that a little bit. Me, I don't horse trade with anybody. I, they're rally killers. If I put any politicians up at a rally, people leave. 
They've heard him before. There's They're disappointing. That, yeah. And this has nothing to do with Republicans or Democrats. It's both. The, the crowd gets restless. They don't want to hear the politicians. And, and the one thing politicians always do is talk too much. You know, if you want to, as a politician, the magic words to say at the beginning of, of any speech is, I know you guys don't want a long speech, so I'm not going to give one. And then say your couple of minutes, because that's also a message for future, uh, for the next guy coming up on the program that he better shorten his up. That's, that's, the, but you that's see, the way to do people, it. People, I always speak less. People want to hear what I have to say. And I feel I got to give them the prime cut, no choice meat, 25 minutes. And it's not the same stuff that I said the last time. I am very cognizant of that. Here is a crowd. Many more people have come because the last rally was so successful. You see these rallies are right. growing. Hundreds are turning Are they getting media attention? Are, they getting, yes. are the TVs coming out? Yes, they're coming out. But the point, oh, naturally, when I say I'm getting arrested, they all show yeah. up. <laughs> And that's the way you guarantee when I say I'm going to block you do a little, the tunnels and the bridges with tractor trailers, they little, all come out. Your little zip-tie perp walk that you do. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> because they need that for their video. I understand right. what they need. And look, I've done it before. I can do it again. And it's being done with a genuine spirit of civil disobedience. When we come back, though, I want you to collectively give advice to Hochul and Adams, who are at war, then they're making love, they're at war, they're making love, because they have no friends in Washington now. I mean, that's kind of obvious. They've gone there with their tin cup in hand. I have something for Adams to do, but it's a nuclear option. I, okay. don't, I don't know if he's going to like it. All right. Well, you know, you are offer it to him because I'm at war with all of them. As you saw, I was even booing Hochul at Cipriani's. You could hear me <laughs> from one end to the next, but as John Katsimatidis said... We didn't hear that crap up on the stage. That was wrong, Curtis. But it was visceral, you know. Yeah, you can't help I yourself. I couldn't hold back. <laughs> Just like on here on talk radio, I don't speak with a filter except to uh, eliminate curse words that could get us all in trouble with the FCC. Right here on your place to be WABC. It's Anthony Weiner, yours truly, Curtis Lee. And then remember, I'm back tonight till the break of dawn, 12 midnight to 6, with all fresh slices. Fresh stuff. I don't give you oldy, moldy, sort of uh, warmed-up leftovers. Then you might hear from other shows, no, 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 no. My job is to give you the prime slice, the fresh slice. Versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight Slugfest. 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right. In the right corner, it's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa. In the left corner, it's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight Slugfest. It's Beastie Boys Day, finally, after seven years. 
These Booker boys from Brooklyn have the southwest corner of Ludlow and Rivington in the LES named Beastie Boys Square. It was earlier today, 12 to 2. Mike D was there, Ad Rock. All the Beastie Boys, uh, Alta Kaka fans wearing their Depends. Because remember, they're and, all... And, and there's one that passed away, right? There's one Beastie yeah. Boy that passed away, They right? have, I believe, a Vest Pocket Park for him in Brooklyn Heights. Mm-hmm. In fact, right before you get to the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel, where they have the Tunnel oh, to Tower yeah, Run. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, Tunnel to Tower Run, we all have teams that are going to be walking. I think it's uh, the 24th. I don't have the copy. Early in the morning, I'll be there with Nancy and Anthony... Uh, but there's teams galore. Everybody here has a team. You go on the website, and uh, you make a donation. It's a great charity. It's a family-run charity. They've been there since day one. It's a great charity, yeah. Really sincere people, the Siller family. You, you've never been a runner, are you? That's not your thing. Yeah, I run after people who snatch pocketbooks. <laughs> and so I need. It's like, it's like the greyhounds chasing the electric rabbits at the greyhound shack. <laughs> I need somebody to chase. And then basically the bulldog down. You see, then I'm like in my prime. Right. But anyway, uh, so Beastie Boys uh, finally honored, and let's face it, they're synonymous with Brooklyn. Eric Adams has said he's the Biden of Brooklyn. He's the Brooklyn guy. He was born in Brownsville, though he then went to live in Southeast Queens. But hey, he's got Brooklyn cred. Uh, he was Brooklyn Borough President for eight years before that state senator, or Crown Heights Bedside. So he's got cred. Um, that speech he gave the other night in the Upper West Side, to me, was he was surrendering. He was waving the white flag. He was Robert Lee at Appomattox handing his sword to General Grant. I, I thought it was a speech of surrender. Like, well, wait a second. You're the mayor. What are you going to do about it? I mean, look, after that speech, I just wanted to grab him by the lapels. You got me, Eva? <laughs> Yeah, that's what I wanted to. I mean, look, look. I mean, I did two hours about this. People can pick it up on the podcast. But you asked the question, what would I? You know, I I kind of see being mayor as three parts. One, you're the boss of three hundred thousand some odd people. You got to manage the city, imagine those agencies. Imagine what those employees think when they see their boss say, "I can't see a way out of this problem. I think that that our be- our best days are behind us. We're done." You've got to inspire these people, people who are working on this problem every day, and also they can't see their boss saying there are worse days behind us. Second part of the job is being the voice of the city, the id of the city, being the person that stands up and says, hey, we're the chest out, shoulders back, head up in the air, we're New York. That's And, and the third part is I call it kind of the foreign policy part of the job, dealing with the governor, dealing with the president, dealing with other cities, dealing with things, kind of managing what it, and he has done a terrible job with that speech in all three ways. He was defeatist to his employees. He showed kind of a downtrodden, I, we're all done to the, to the rest of us. And then he didn't even conclude in it, like he had this line where he says, what have you done to support your mayor and all this? Look, he hasn't done very well with anyone. And, and he says, we're going to have a $12.5 billion deficit. Well, no, he said we do have it. No, we may have it in the future of things, but part of it is getting aid from our partners. And there is a nuclear option here that he has over Hochul that he has not used. And I'm going to give this to you, Curtis, because it's true. So the Callahan decision of 1981, why was it that the city entered into an agreement with the Coalition for the Homeless to give housing to anyone who wants it? They thought they were going to lose a lawsuit because there is language in the state constitution that basically says that kind of 
does give the idea that you've got to give aid and comfort to those who need it, and that includes housing. But if it's in the state constitution, why is it only the city that has that requirement? Well, the city was the only one that signed that consent decree. But if someone walks into court right now, meaning the mayor of the city of New York with his corporation council, and goes into a state court and says, we believe this should be true of every city, Hochul is toast. Because then she has this problem everywhere in her city. So what? when you have that kind of leverage, if you're Eric Adams, yes, you might not be getting money out of Congress now because it's a divided Congress. It's not a divided Albany. And if he was, if he had his chops, I would get the leaders of the Albany legislature in the room with the governor says, listen, we all got to get along here. I'm not going to do anything with this nuclear option, but I have it. And sooner or later, people are going to start asking about why, why with the Callahan decision doesn't mean that courts all around the state should not have the same document in front of them. And that's what I would do. I would also say to our congressional delegation, Democrats and Republicans alike, come down to Gracie Mansion. I'll make us a little barbecue. Then we're going to sit down in a room and we're going to talk about how we can all work together to solve the problems of our city. If that means making a deal with Nicole Maliotakis, okay, I hear what you're saying about that. you got sewage all over the street because it's not ready. Or I hear what you're saying in Central Queens. I will agree to pull those two back, but here's what I need you to do. That's big boy pants. That's why you wanted the job. That's governing. It ain't pretty, but that's what you have to do. Well, I would add an addendum. I would reach out to Steve Cohen. Uh, owner and operator of the Mets, who's had a lousy city, uh, lousy season this year, they, though he spent a lot of money, and say, you know, in Creedmoor, across the street, there are ball fields. About half of the single able-bodied young men in that tent in Creedmoor, with nothing to do and nowhere to go, are Venezuelans. We know <laughs> they know how to play baseball. Some of the best ball players of Venezuela. Let's do some tryouts. I mean, look, it's standing around here. Smoking weed, drinking beer, they're young, uh, they're strong, they love baseball, they don't have the equipment to play baseball, let them have a tryout camp there. Likewise, for the Yankees, Randall Island, Randall's Island, they have the tent there now on the soccer fields, lots of baseball fields that never get played. Let me ask you, that's a great idea, but let me ask you a serious question. Yeah, that's serious. Do you support giving them, if we can snap your fingers, giving them work authorization right now? Uh, after six months of being on Rikers Island, yes. If we could vet them, if we can get them medically up to par, if we can vaccinate them, but they got to stay on Rikers Island. They can't be going up and down with well, their well, vests and I mean, motorbikes for well, six months. Right. So, well, that's the the present law. Correct. But I'm saying, I'm saying more than that. I'm saying let let people do it now. Look, it really comes down to you want to save the city money by letting them work because the more they're inclined to work, the less likely they are on the city dole. Or do you think what Sid thinks, and I think there's an argument for this, that it creates an incentive. If, oh, you start to, if you start to say we're going to make it two weeks, then you're going to – people now are using the asylum program as a rapid ticket yes. to go work yes. because they know it's a four-year backlog or whatever. No, I, I concur with that. But when we come back, we have to explore this because uh, with the Yankees and the Mets just crashing and burning – we got all these opportunities here we're not taking advantage of, Anthony. And plus, my idea of sweat equity where it all starts, the border. 500 miles of wall. We haven't completed the wall. I think there is a way to complete the wall because you're now in favor of that. Uh, instead of all this buoy uh, madness, you know, in the Rio Grande, Baba Buoy, we <laughs> can get the job done and it will cost us minimally. Good old-fashioned sweat equity. This is the compromise, Anthony Weiner. I'm sure you'll come on board. Don't go anywhere. Stink.
to WABC, your place to be. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. So let's take it down to the border where the state of Texas is in court versus the United States of America who objects to Baba Bowie's being placed yeah. in the Rio Grande, which reminded me, even though I, I'm not a big guy in sleepaway camp, but one thing I know to keep the kids from swimming too far in the lake, they put the buoys out there. Not as big as these buoys, but buoys out there. They tell you. And hey, not with razor wire on them. Right, uh, to make sure you don't go out there. The sharks may get you in the lake. That keeps the kids at bay. But I believe sweat equity is the way out of it. I noticed that you, Anthony, have now agreed that we need to complete the wall where it can be completed. And why not brick and mortar? I don't like uh, the steel, the car you get, uh, the, 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 the iron that they put up. A lot of times the iron gets pushed over. Not because people are pushing it over, because you're in the middle of the desert there. It's not implanted far enough. I remember the old Berlin, uh, Berlin Wall. I was there before they took it down. I was there after they took it down. I saw how they were taking it out. Not easy. Yeah, the brick and mortar and concrete. Let the young men, single able-bodied young men and women, do a little sweat equity. You know, teaches them a trade. Bricklaying is always in demand. They get a little quarter-mile square because they're two walls, one on the Mexican side, one on the American side, and then you put the concrete in between. Then they can sign their name to it. It'll be there in perpetuity, and they earn their And also, the that's United the States. tradition of the United States. You come in, and you say to the guy behind you in line, get out of my country. Yes. So it would be exactly that. <laughs> but think <laughs> of it, sweat equity. Well, now, you know, it's funny. These buoys along the water, they're, apparently they're being used to stop women from swimming from Texas to Mexico to get abortions. Now you can't get them. <laughs> so they're going in both directions. But it's gotten from the sublime to the ridiculous. We do need barriers. Uh, I don't like, uh, as I said, uh, those steel barriers. You know, the biggest up. fentanyl bus of 2021 by the DEA was underneath a wall. Yeah. Well, no, there are tunnels galore. I, I mean, mean that tunnel, because think about it, that's the place that has the least patrol. So, so what they do is they tunnel under a wall. Yeah. And when you go to Tijuana, where I've spent a lot of time, Colonia Juarez, Colonia Libertad, that's what they spend half their time doing is from those little thatched huts. They dig, dig right underneath the border, and they get out in the San Ysidro Canyon under the cover of darkness. Or sometimes they'll get out into the basement of a warehouse or yes. something like that. Yes. Yeah. yeah, no, there are a million different ways uh, to uh, come under, one day fly over, uh, pole vault, uh, ladders. And in the future, they'll be able to see their name inscribed on the wall. That's I right. Built, I built this. That's right. Tell their children and grandchildren. Anyway, you know. I love my Italian heritage and the food that goes along with it. That's why on Sundays after church, I head over with my father to Italo's Fine Foods on Forest Avenue in Staten Island with our list from mom. They have two locations on Forest Avenue, 1566 and the new one at 725. It's family-owned and serving Italian specialties since 2014. They also have a full catering menu, the freshest meats, imported San Martano tomatoes from Italy, and the best mozzarella. Order in-store, by phone, or online. They even deliver. ItaloFineFoods.com, I-T-A-L-O, FineFoods.com. Tell them Vinnie Madugno and WABC sent you. Manja.